Greetings from the Seventh Circle. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the next episode of Seventh Circle of Film. I'm your host, Kieran, along with my co-host, Ty. How you doing, man? I'm doing alright. We'll see how this fucking goes. Uh, and to help us just dig further out of our depth, little guest, Mike, who's coming Hello. back from Hellraiser for some reason because he wants to go back into this shit show. How you doing? Alright, um, uh... I think this film's pretty, pretty, pretty bizarre. It was me who, um, it was me who found it, and I was like, oh, "Kieran, you've got to watch this. It's really, really interesting, in my opinion." Yeah, uh, push one shut it. Kind of went under the radar for me because, uh, contrary to popular belief, my head's in the fucking sand half the time. I can ostrich with its eyes plucked out. I hear nothing in terms of the new releases and stuff. I need them just explained to me on YouTube and fucking people through Discord. And when little gems like this come out, it's just beautiful stuff that uh, completely goes against the norm and just unheard of outside of the horror circles. So might as well like jump straight into it um, and go over some of the basics before we go into animation and stuff. Uh, director, writer, uh, Phil Tippett. I wouldn't worry if you hadn't heard of the guy, but he's he's massive. He's touched on something you've watched, I guarantee it. He was uh, a progenitor to a lot of the effects that they had back in the day, the stuff that was you know, marvelled and fucking brought up as the best of the best. Uh, he's worked on Starship Troopers, uh, Robocop. Uh, in fact, um, if you have a look through Mad God, I only noticed on like the second and third viewing, there's a few things from Robocop that pop up. The uh, ED-209 robot comes in at one point, like right near the start as the lift's coming down. Uh, Star mm. Wars as well, Jurassic Park, sort of. I'll go into that in a minute. Uh, the later Twilight films, the Breaking Dawn stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to fucking work on the best stuff I'm going to have to go for the contrast as well I'm going to have to name and shame just a touch you're not getting away with it what a what a dip <laughs> I hope you got fucking paid for it oh, Yeah, I, I talking about fucking dip, Tremors 2 which is shit House 2 which is actually really good and uh, finishing off I don't know if this is a dip or an uptick from Twilight but uh, Howard the Duck I'll leave that up to popular oh. consensus <laughs> Uptick, obviously. Any know. film with duck tits in it. <laughs> I think that was a George Lucas thing, so presumably he uh, grabbed, fucking fostered, tough it, tip it into it. Poor prick. I think you've sort of glossed over the fact that this guy, you know, did the special effects for Star Wars. You know, like the miniatures, <laughs> like the 8080s and Hutt. Yeah, he did the ATA. And Star Wars, I suppose Star Wars isn't a big deal. He did the um Oh the fucking the, the Tontons within all that. He did a lot of the speeders. Yeah, he did he did a shitload. He did a massive amount. And obviously, uh if you're talking about old models being tossed around Star Wars is the epicenter of that, the absolute pinnacle model warfare. Uh, something that's been largely killed off, unfortunately. It's in the uh, CGI really has bullied that out to some extent, rightly so, because it's you know, tedious, takes fucking forever to do, but yeah, it's a little bit lost there, I think. We'll jump into that towards the end, going over some of Jurassic Park. Uh, quickly jump over some of the other crew members. Uh, you got Alex Cox uh, acting, playing the last man. The only, I think, yeah, the only person in it that you can see visibly. I don't know what. The woman? Yeah, I, I don't no, know. That, that was uncanny valley. That was a bit uncanny valley, though, the woman. I don't know if that was actually just still stop motion. 
I tried to tell her she just looked weird. Mm. They were actors, the doctor and nurse. Oh, okay, yeah. fair enough. There was something off about them, and I didn't want to like push all my uh, chips into one yeah, corner. They, they looked like you know, not oh, what's the word, not cell shaded, but like a filter over them. They looked like they were straight from like a David Cage game. I don't know. Maybe you just went around finding weird looking people. Pushing but you're them. also you're also forgetting the most important part of the film that was also people. The gnomes. <laughs> <laughs> they get crushed <laughs> underfoot. Yeah. Yeah. Never fucking seen or mentioned again. <laughs> they were fucking people. They were people. Actually, a lie as well. The uh, anarchists who blow up the place. That's more live action. There is some live action then, yeah, here and there. Uh, but there's the, the main guy. But the only one who does anything worth <laughs> yeah of any importance um he's been in repo man uh straight to hell a film with courtney love uh definitely compass film with christopher eccleston he starred in that i've heard some good things actually uh a lot of this is a tip it has his own studio he does a lot of his own stuff and he's involved with most of these guys i'm presuming he kind of brought them on as hey can you do me a favor and do this kind of stuff which is always nice to see yeah yeah. Having your own studio was the only way this film was going to be made. <laughs> Just this is not something you bring to producers. Oh, you don't know half of it. Like the studio, uh, his his crew were the ones who kind of pushed him and egged him on to actually make it. It absolutely wouldn't have happened without a studio because they were the ones who properly you know, fostered the idea and said, "Oh, you got to continue this because he was uh, giving up on it." Tip it. Yeah, he made it over such a long period of time that he was probably just going mad. <laughs> well, there's a reason for it. There was a period of um, complete absence of work, which I'll, I'll touch on in just a sec with the Jurassic Park stuff. Uh, quickly finished off a uh, composer, Dan Wall, who again worked on Death and the Compass, a uh, free businessman. He did a Sex Pistols film called Sid and Nancy with Gary Oldman. No fucking idea. Um, he's got a YouTube channel for anyone who wants to listen to his stuff. He's on Spotify as well. I had a listen through a load of the uh, stuff he's done. Some stuff for theme park rides, I gathered, weirdly enough, uh, and other films. He's uh, just really great. Some really good stuff. Readily contactable as well if you want to ask him any questions. Um, and he's answered some of the stuff I sent over, which we'll go into later. Very nice guy. Uh, cinematographer, some stuff by Phil Tippett. But the main one, uh, Chris Morley, who works within the Tippett brand, um, it looks to be like a a, a newcomer that uh, Tippett's bringing up as a little uh, progenitor. Uh, recently done a lot of stuff for The Mandalorian, uh, The Orville, that uh, Star Trek thing, really good. Uh, Ted, Horns, After Earth, the shit Will Smith film, Cloverfield, Parts of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, and just a shitload of other stuff. Uh, mostly visual effects assistance some cinematography mostly supervision uh budget box office uh so box office it did go to theaters for a little bit i'm presuming for like awards academy awards stuff because you need to do that kind of stuff uh three hundred and eleven thousand three hundred and seventy nine dollars at the box office which uh for a film like this isn't too bad i'm presuming like six theaters it opened up in still better than john travolta's the fanatic so it's certainly not oh, the lowest. <laughs> that Imagine made... seeing this fucking film in cinema. 
Oh, I love that. The fucking, just the music alone on the surround sound speakers. Absolutely beautiful. It'd be fucking terrifying, but... <laughs> It'd be awful and wonderful at the same time. Perfect second impression. What are you going to say? Hellraiser's world, Mike. <laughs> awful and wonderful at the same time. Yeah, I think that about describes the... Uh... The, the sort of notes of the film. Well, I, I accept the wonderful part. It's wonderful as an audience member. It's definitely not wonderful to live in this world. <laughs> I was going to say um, later on, but it, I, I feel like it's uh, the heretics people from uh, 40K. <laughs> A lot of that involved. Oh, yeah. There were skulls and shit that reminded me of like, servitors. Constantly through it, they're just industrialization, um, like surrealistic industrialization, surrealistic dark industrialization with just an element of grime on everything, just flesh, fleshy in parts. Cutting forward a bit, like the the lit, the workers are literally made out of shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> little ash men made of giant shit, giants who are being electrocuted to fucking. I disembowel them in the worst way possible. Disembowel their bowels. Fucking horrible. Um, oh yeah, uh, budget. Uh, it took 30 odd years to make, so the opportunity costs and manpower and stuff can't be overstated. Massive amounts. But the actual money-wise, the like, hard cost for stuff you can't volunteer for, um, shit like hard drive space, uh, studio time, that kind of shit. 125000 on Kickstarter. Is what they managed to make. That was back in like 2012, 2013, um, from something like 2,000 people, I think, which is pretty but decent. Must, yeah. That film got to cost more than that. Yeah, oh, it absolutely must have. Um, way more. I said it, it's in like opportunity cost though. It's in time because most of the people working on it were volunteers through a lot of this stuff. Um, mostly Tippett doing work himself over this massive period so the actual budget who can fucking say it doesn't exist but it's going to be gigantic it's going to be closing in I reckon like at least 500,000 if you're talking the amount of hours put in millions if you're, you're talking effort but uh, that's the actual amount of money that kind of got shelled into it uh, it certainly would have been a flop if you know, you, you put into account that it wouldn't have made more than 300 grand. Uh, in terms of actual trivia stuff, uh, yeah, made promo from volunteers, a real passion project. Uh, the actual plan for the film consisted of a 12 page document, which is pretty short to be fair, uh, more like a treatise, uh, a few storyboards as well that acted kind of more from what um, Tippett said as a greatest hits, uh, as he, I think, directly said, watermark moments for the film, uh, just to give a tonal consistency, a tonal idea, rather than scene by scene, okay, this is what we want to do, these are the themes, this is what we want to hit in each scene. It was more just, okay, this is what I want to create, generally speaking, these are some cool things that I want to shove in there. Um, no drugs taken during their production. He, during Return of the Jedi, he took a load of LSD with a cat and Adam Savage from Mythbusters to work on a load of the stuff, but apparently for this he didn't need anything. 
which is it's always lovely. And he said in his 70s he doesn't want to alter his brain any further because it's, it's already got stuff he wants to work on. So good for him. Um, in terms of the reason it took so long, the 30-year period, uh, it's a bit of a misnomer. It, it was more two periods of production and then uh, a break in the centre. He was called up on uh, Jurassic Park to work on. He'd not done CGI work, obviously, before. He's not a computer guy in the slightest. Uh, he's, he's practical effects, stop motion, clay motion, that kind of stuff. Um, and he, uh, when he got there with Spielberg, obviously Jurassic Park, ended up going with mostly CGI. Uh, it's uh, the original, the fucking amazing film that pushed CGI onto the masses and ruined some cinema going forward. I mean, it, it killed his uh, fire to some extent, Tippett, when he saw Jurassic Park gaining so much traction and pushing towards CGI, he had the belief that classic forms of animation would be killed off by CGI generally. He kind of took a worst-case doomsayer scenario-esque outlook on it and believed that because of that, okay, we're fucked. That's stop-motion gone, that's clay gone, that's... Um, What's his worst-case doomsayer scenario incorrect, though? When you look at Marvel movies, which are now, you know, such massive um, films... Isn't ninety five percent of the scenes in those contain some sort of CGI or VFX? Yeah, I, I think to some extent he was right, to some extent he was wrong. Uh, though he couldn't have really predicted that the parts he was wrong on. Certainly, CGI's took over like in a mainstream aspect. If you want something to be cheaper, uh, you go CGI just with the time put in. And mm. I don't like it. I don't conform to it. But people prefer the realistic look. I I prefer something stylized, much prefer something stylized, but um, that's how audiences want to go for the big stuff, the big films, mainstream. Fair enough. Uh, it's a common denominator. You go for the biggest audience. So yeah, in terms of generally, on the generic level, yeah, it's mostly dead. But I think he couldn't have quite predicted the niche cultures that would build up through the 2000s and now, to be fair, now that uh, there's there's enough people around, enough like little sub bubbles that they can keep these dead genres alive, not on a massive scale, but you know, tiny morons like us that watch crap like this, well, can just okay. pump some life into it and keep these things going, which is wonderful. Like these little sub genres can survive through all this. Besides Mad God. Name me another like stop motion type horror film. Coraline, Nightmare Before Christmas. Alice. Alice. They aren't exist. They all, aren't they all like before two thousand and five? Though one of those films you listed. No, not Coraline. Coraline's like two thousand nine. Coraline is okay. Honestly, it's... I'm quite surprised it was even stop motion because I always thought it was just. Just that animation in the style of stop motion. I didn't realise it was stop motion. It's a stop motion, isn't it? Um, Frank and Weenie as well. That's some stop motion. Uh, I think through then, definitely some stylizations occasionally. I mean, you generally get amalgamations now because that's how it works. And stop motion has turned from what was back in the days of uh, Harryhausen, you know, Jason the Argonauts. Stop motion's gone from being the cheapest way of doing things, just very time-consuming, to very expensive because of how much time it takes. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And 
but uh, but I also can't help but agree with exactly Phil Tippett's point that his like his love and his life's dedication is at least for future generations like a, a non-factor. It's a non. It's not something that people do anymore. Yeah, uh, part of me doesn't mind that, really. Um... Part of you might not mind that. <laughs> But part of Phil Tippett most certainly does. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know it, it, it's got to be sad for someone who's dedicated their whole life into it. But I think there's an appreciation still there. I think there's still yeah. hope that it, it's going to be seen on. Uh, it, stop motion has just turned from the the generic form of doing stuff to a stylization choice. It's like filming oh. in black and white now. It's gone from something that's cheaper that you can always do to something that you do specifically to create a certain feel. No, I, I absolutely agree. And I think that this film, if anything, proves that that is the case. But I don't. Th- I think that this film itself proves that it can be done, but it can be used to stylize, and is going to encourage that. At least I hope so. But I don't think that before this film, it's been necessarily looked at in that way. Yeah. And I, I think that this film proves that you should look at it that way. No, I think it has. Stop motion was seen as creepy in almost everything it's been shoved into. Stop motion has is, is always been used to that janky, kind of not quite so human style. Well, it depends. It, it depends. A lot of stuff. What a it. Okay. Yeah. You tell me that that dog. In, animation. What's the, the fucking dog in the um, dog food cannon factory? <laughs> Ro- that... uh, you're talking about a close shave. Uh, yes, <laughs> the robot dog. They specifically used stop motion there to make that creepier, which I, I think is beautiful. I think that's wonderful. Animation, to me, shouldn't just be seen as a, a method of getting from place A to place B, whereas anything will do. You know, the journey doesn't fucking matter as long as you get from point A to point B. Animation should be seen as, okay, so what do we want to use to enhance what we're trying to do? What style of animation should we use? Should we use claymation? Should we use standard 2D, 3D? Unfortunately, the world of Disney and the kind of big guys have kind of moved on and said, "Yeah, let's just use three D. It's easier to do, and we, it doesn't really matter anymore." And you have to kind of turn to the other studios. I mean, yesterday, um, me and Mike were watching for a few Studio Ghibli stuff for the first time for me, at mm. least. Uh, kind of classic two D uh, Totoro and um, Great Graveyard of Fireflies. I watched miserable fucking film. Oh Christ! Mistake to start with that one. <laughs> <laughs> you start with Totoro, one of the whimsiest fucking films ever made, and then go to Grave of the Fireflies, which, in case people don't know, <laughs> is a story about two children who survived the fucking nuclear bomb from World War Two, And then slowly uh, starve to death. And then they don't yeah. survive the bomb from World War Two. Yeah, that's, that's not... You see him die at the start. It's just... Miserable. <laughs> I, I actually it's... no, I did it the other way around. I watched that first. That was the first Ghibli film I ended up going through, and then sat down and gone, "Oh my god, I'm gonna cut myself. I need something to watch <laughs> to balance this shit out." And I either I've either got Mad God to rewatch at some <laughs> point, or I watched Totoro. You know, other animation uh, show is pretty good, <laughs> but uses animation really, really well. Yeah, Arcane. You know, no, yeah, we've argued over Arcane a lot. Um, in terms of the story, I've never argued against its animation. Its animation is beautiful. It's absolutely perfect. I've never said that wasn't a ten out of ten fucking job. 
Arcane's animation is wonderful because of that stylization. Uh, it looks like Dishonored if no one's seen it, if anyone's played the game. Uh, but stuff like Arcane, stuff like Totoro, um, Winnie the Pooh as well. I always loved the work through that. And that might be, to be fair, why I love Totoro because they're so interlinked. That classic 2D looks like a painting style. It's my favourite to ever push on the picturesque. Very very good for childhood stuff or for subverting it in a film like Graveyard of the Fireflies. Uh, but that, for me, is taking a stylization of animation, not just because it's the easiest route, but because this is the best method, this is the best uh, transport to tell our story, which is what they did with Alice and the puppets. That was the best method to use to tell that story, and it's what they did with Mad God. It wasn't, I don't think, Tippett just saying, okay, this is what I know and this is what I want to do. I like to think it was Tippett sitting back and going, okay, this is the best way to tell this story. This is the best methodology for that. In the same yeah. way that you decide to write a book, in the same way that you decide to use music as a format, that's what I want animation to be, and that's what I love about films like this, that make use of that style. But but there's one like little hitch that I've got to say, as we get into like, Mad God itself as a film, which is... You talk about Mad God using its animation, using its style to tell a story. Yeah. But what is the story? Okay. Yeah. To tell the tone, at least to set the tone. I think stop motion was the best method to progress that. You've got a point. Yeah. There fucking isn't one. I I, I, I almost think it's the other way around. They didn't. I I like. I obviously could be wrong here, but. It's we've got stop motion. What can we make from that? What's what can we do that no other animation style can do? And kind of almost reverse engineered it backwards. That's what I get when I watch the film. Anyway, would just be wrong. I think I think that the that the story for Mad God is definitely there, and the story is like a, an expression of the mood and the feelings of the creator of Phil Tippett. Of the, the the madness that's that's deep inside that man's brain, the sort of like dark side of him that you know he wouldn't want to unleash. Going back to the Hellraiser podcast when we talk about the um people's like affinity to become cenobites and there's that darkness within someone that causes them to become cenobites. I think that this film is Phil Tippett's expression of that cenobite within him. Going for uh, year twelve psychology, the id and fucking little Freudian stuff. Yeah, I suppose, but, you know, like, um, to an extent, it probably is conscious, but it's not something that, you know, he, he would want to be like, yeah, that's, that's what this is about, because I think leaving it open means it has more meaning and is more impactful than just, like, being like, yeah, this is what it's about. Yeah, I know we were talking a bit before this, um, going over, we watched the film together, me and Mike, I was watching it for the first time, and uh, I th- think this is going to be a point of contention throughout. Just to put all our cards on the table, I'm of the opinion that looking into this film is pointless. That it, it subverts any explanation. I know that's fucking ridiculous coming from me, a man who sat through Bud the Chud and talked for it for two and a half hours. The most ped- <laughs> on the best of days, a pedantic cunt. And saying that a film like this that is so layered uh, just doesn't need to be explained. But yeah, I, I I am of the opinion that it, it just it's just weird. 
It has amazing animation. That's all it needed to be. I suppose I'm with Ty on this. It, it was how what, we've got stop motion. How do we show it off? That that makes a lot of sense to me. And that it, it doesn't need anything beyond that. It doesn't need to be explained beyond that. Because it is fucking nonsensical. Parts of it, you've got to agree at least, Mike, that a, a good few chunks of it are complete nonsense just to subscribe to the tone. Here's what I'll say. You almost got there. What, what you were just saying there about how analysing it and thinking about the film, like in a deeper level, is pointless. That that very notion itself is close, is close to why analysing it isn't pointless. I thought you were about to say it conforms to like a nihilistic statement, which I've seen. Exactly, that's the whole point. Yeah, like thinking about the film in any depth. Ah, oh, that's that's you know like. That's, that's pointless, that's a waste of time. The film doesn't need to be like that. But then the film's entire message is that everything is, is pointless and everything is nihilistic and it's like a like this sort of postmodernist reduction of, of what it uh, of everything is completely meaningless and it's in a sense sort of depressing about that. It's like everything's meaningless and this is a depressing world that gives off those meaningless vibes but i think like each scene has its own flavor on that um, and you also say like about how you don't really think there's much point in going over the scenes but i totally disagree as well because i think each scene is a certain flavor of nihilism yeah i mean in the films in terms of the actual themes there's definitely some stuff with time in there cyclical stuff um when you go towards the ending which will grow when we get to it and uh there's a lot of religious mentioning it and the, the world itself yeah it's, it's incredibly nihilistic it's just miserable all the way through but yeah i def- i'm just not sure I, I need it needs to be looked into that hard and i don't think that was phil's intention i don't know if it's people just looking into it and taking what they want from it uh, i suppose oh. death of the artist and all that you take what you need and i, I don't really subscribe to the idea that you shove your unconsciousness into everything i think he really did just shove a load of scenes together and people are taking what they will of course he wouldn't want you to analyse it. He wouldn't want you to find his inner cell right now, would he? Also, I disagree with the nihilism part. Not all horror is nihilism. I didn't not say. all sadness is nihilism. That's not what nihilism is to begin with. I think Pointlessness it's... is not mad god. Those things have a point within its own context, within the world. Each horrible scene you see has a point, be it the creation of something to feast upon itself. That's not nihilism. That is why I think it is just, well, I personally think it's just hell and a representation of it. Because there are distinct layers throughout this whole thing. And the very first scene is God striking down the being at the very end, the one in the mask. Yeah, the Tower of so the idea that, Yeah. Yeah. Not, so just the idea that this... It, I don't think it's pointless as a film. I do, I do think it has a plot as loose as it is, obviously. But in terms of looking into it that deeply as Kieran's saying is, you know, not point... No, you know, it's pointless... I don't think it's that deep. I really don't. I don't think it's... It, obviously, you can read as much as you want into it. It's purely visual, right? But 
at the end of the day, I just I think it's a very simple plot told in a very roundabout way. <laughs> no deeper meaning to it. There's definitely a logic to it. I mean, it's rhythmic at times. A lot of the stuff within it. It's its own internal logic that I don't think we're ever going to fully understand at any point of what these things I, are doing. I know it's weird me taking the centrist view of this <laughs> uh, out of the three of us, but I, I really don't think there is as much to look into as you might think, Mike, but I don't think it's completely and utterly pointless to look into it as Kieran thinks. I think what Mike is going for, it's not the sadness aspect, it's not the depression aspect, it's the cyclical nature of everything, that everything turns out like this regardless of what anyone does. It always ends up growing, destroying, you're back to the situation, and then the time at the end you see it goes back, there's the anarchy symbol, they blow up the world again. Same fucking situation, it just keeps happening over and over again no matter what anyone's doing. Am I on the right lines, Mike? Or am I just... Yes, yes, you are along the right lines. yeah, you are. I, I think I think considering that we all disagree, I think it is prudent to go over at least a few scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to go over some of the stuff. I mean, we might as well start at the start. Fucking what an idea. What a concept. Begin at the beginning. Um, <laughs> already touched on Terror Babel. There's a lot of religious imagery in this. And yeah, uh, there's a lot of like, almost Dante's Inferno-style stuff occasionally um, when he's driving down in the Jeep. And it opens on a, a Leviticus quote. Um, yeah, the third book of Moses, I think, if I remember back. I know my uh, old C of E priest is going to hit me over the head for forgetting that one. But uh, I will lay your cities in ruin and make your sanctuaries desolate, and I will not save your pleasing odors. <laughs> it reads like a Monty Python insult. It's uh, yeah, it's not exactly friendly. Matches the tone pretty fucking well. Old Testament for you. Yeah, it's got uh, some, I know, interesting choices of language. It's very semantically pleasing to read through. It, it's got very Conan the Barbarian styling to it. I think. Oh, lamentations <laughs> if you're women, shit. I don't know. It's just very straightforward at the same time, kind of esoteric it, and miserable. I, personally, it sounds very petty. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's the point. It's, it's at the end. Fuck you! I'll ruin your houses. I'll make sure your enemies have nothing. It's like okay. I won't even smell you and enjoy it. Don't like <laughs> it works really well, though. For the sake, I usually have a go at quotes, but it, it's done in a kind of interesting way. It's on a parchment. It's it's not read to you or anything. It's over and done with quite quickly. And it's, uh, it's, it's a different quote. I don't think I've ever seen it push forward. It's not one of the generic ones that they always foster. And it's not trying to just shove a pointless fucking message down your throat like they do a uh, load of the time. <clears throat> Blood rain. Uh-huh. So uh, before we do go scene by scene, like the general aesthetic of the thing, um, World War One, I, I suppose, to, for a lot of the scenes, there's also some city stuff, desolate. Everything's got this just undercurrent, I say undercurrent, an overcurrent, fucking understating it completely, an overcurrent of filth. Uh, the way I put it is it's hellish industrial surrealism. It's just miserable. Like, if you had a Goya painting of what the black country looked like in the heart of Victorian industrialization, this is the kind of shit you get out of that. It's just revolting all the way through. Yeah, every single scene just has something wrong with it as well as 
something miserable. It's like, yeah, going to uh, Warhammer 40k. It'd be like the, the center of an industrial planet in the most miserable aspect on like a chaos world, just something beyond what we could actually create. So yeah, it's just a general kind of aesthetic, um, which the music, I don't want to say it goes against it. I think it's absolutely perfect. It, it's got an element of contrast in there. I absolutely adore it. I know when me and Mike first watched it, um, the music reminded me not of like any other horror film, not of uh, anything else miserable. It reminded me of the music from Endless Space. Uh, no one's played it. It's like a space game where you build empires and shit. More exploration. There's no real horror to it. Um, you know the opening thing where he's going down the lift and it's uh, just got kind of beautiful underwaterish vibe. Is in the box. Mm. Yeah. I absolutely love that fucking music. Listen to it on Spotify pretty much all day. I always the the optimism in exploration or the that um constant like human curiosity that pushes through on that more for the audience I think than the poor person in the box. I don't know. Maybe I am reading too much into that, despite what I was saying earlier. Uh, but I did, yeah, the music works really well. Just as a general note, I always like to mention when it does, and it works very very well. Don't think it ever gets um too intense at any point. I'm trying to think through the film. Well, the the very beginning um is fairly intense, but it's looking over fucking yeah. that Mabel works beyond that. No, it's I honestly apart from the beginning, I don't remember music because <laughs> I was one enthralled and two because it's very subtle for the most part there's one point where the music's fairly intense not like intense in the general sort of thing like a ha ha kind of intensity but like a like sort of in terms of like loudness and in terms of i don't know what is intensity like the free the frequency to the next like syllable in the song or something frequency, um, uh, yeah just loudness yeah loudness. in that case right at the very end of the yodeling I can't fucking remember the yodeling. Like when it's going through the universe shit. Nope, no, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. The the last scene is yodeling. It's like quite loud uh, yodeling. And that's like the sort of reveal of everything because that how everything comes together in the end is to yodeling. A lot of that. Yeah, that, that's just completely escaping. I don't know if I was just um, grounded after flabbergasted after it finished off. Didn't pay attention it's to all the music, like but yeah, credits, it's right before the credits. Fair it's enough. um, it's as it's as the entire cycle repeats again, and uh, the character yeah. last man sends a, sends another assassin down. Yeah, yeah. It's right, it might have been me slightly. <laughs> I honestly didn't yeah. register that it was yodeling, but now that I remember. <laughs> I slightly zoned out after all the amoeba stuff, just to touch <laughs> for the music. Yeah, uh, two points, but generally quite subtle. And I'm presuming that was well done at the end because the rest of the music was very good. Well, it's just yodeling, and it? it's like, like you know, it's I don't know what well executed yodeling sounds like. To be frank, I think it was a Disney film about yodeling bears at one point. I'm presuming that's <laughs> it's given like a twenty percent on Rotten though. Still might be the pinnacle. Yodeling is crap. <laughs> oh, there's the yodeling from Mars Attacks. There oh, that's pretty good. And the Mars Attacks, there's there's the the best example of proper yodeling. And that yeah, fucking kills, kills another alien species. Yeah. 
you want to jump through a uh, assassin unvoiced protagonist in uh, kind of a gas mask diver suit-esque thing a uh, legion of them above with the last man uh, none of them are given uh, names by the way there's no like voiced stuff at all there's some oh. grunts here and there but uh, together they're all definitely this. not human no 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 those things aren't oh I mean, it's the last man uh, is his name officially the uh guy with the weird fingernails and shit played by uh, Alex so they're clearly yeah, they're massive compared to him. I don't know massive they're bigger than him Remember right, when uh, when he's walking up to it, they're all lined up. They tower over. Don't get me wrong, not yeah. like you know skyscraper versus man, but like nine foot tall. Ah, oh, fair enough. They take the map in one hand, where he has to carry it along oh, too. Yeah, shit. I think that the problem is I'm just scaling him to where uh, the rest of the monsters that you see throughout everything else, and these yeah. things are small. Scale is difficult when. Yeah, <laughs> scaling's difficult in this film. Yeah, either way, these these things are small, and the last man, I suppose, is smaller. The three witches are even smaller than that. The gnomes, pid, pivotal. You're going to have to remember the gnomes, by the way. They come up a lot. Gnomes are important <laughs> to the plot. Keep them in your head. Pivotal of the gnomes. One's art, one has a fucking duck, and the other one has a stuffed toy, I believe. Yeah, keep them in your mind for the ending. Take a note, actually. Just to what turn part that to... What part of the Xenobite brain of the director is that? <laughs> like, <laughs> what part is the nose? I think that's... What do they it's like the, the LSD coming back to hit him back in the yeah. fucking... I think it is just that, though, because gnomes are quite happy. And the idea of like these like, happy... Because it's the first time you... Well, I say they're not happy. They're having a fight in this. They're generally they're happy. Figuring, yeah. You know, compared to everything them. else in the film, they're very happy. They're fucking elated compared to most <laughs> creatures <laughs> you bump into. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's that contrast, isn't it? It's that... Like, to be a Cenobite has to be pleasure before pain, or in pain but, before pleasure. But perhaps, but perhaps, if we really want to look into it, the original um, gnome creatures, uh, at least in this version of the red caps that they're wearing, uh, you would need to leave a small acorn of cream out for them. And if they, and if you do not, they shit in your mouth. So going with the underlying aspect of shit, um, I think that this whole film is just the director's um, scat fetish coming out <laughs> in form. I think there's a lot of arguments in favour of that throughout the film. Maybe maybe that's exactly why when people ask him what's a deeper metaphor, he goes, there isn't one. There's no metaphor. Leave it alone. <laughs> Fuck off. I just really like shit. <laughs> Deepy fucking B. Yeah, I've hit the nail on the head. Oh, it's going to be horrible now if I go back and watch through uh, just Robocop. There's little images of two girls, one cup. Just chiselled in <laughs> tinily on the massive robot. It's it's like the guy who made near uh, near uh, a Tromada or whatever it's called uh, Atomada, something like that. Where when asked why your protagonist is this really hot female character, um, that when she explodes her skirt rips off, and the guy and the dude's response was literally like, "I just like pretty women." That's it. <laughs> well, That's the only reasoning he needs. Yeah, I feel like just like shit. 
slightly on tangent, actually jumping on that, <laughs> slightly off topic. Um, it reminds me of when me and Mike Sorry. went to London Comic Con. <laughs> no, I'm going to about to jump way off. Went to London Comic Con. I had to get uh, something signed for my niece for Adventure Time, and before that, there was some guy who was opening for Fairy Tale. Who went up? I know this story, the story to you a thousand times, but fuck it, people might want to hear. And uh, Fairy Tale, some film about dragon anime stuff. I've got no clue. Don't ask me. But this guy had a translator who was cringing throughout the entirety of it because he was a massive pervert, the director of Fairy Tale, gigantic <laughs> pervert. And it started off with, oh, why did you have that scene with the bikini volleyball at the start? And he was just smiling to himself, laughing in a room like filled with kids and fucking adults and shit because it had just been adventure time. And he said, oh, I just like seeing girls' breasts. And I pushed to have the pointless 10-minute volleyball montage scene at the start just because I wanted naked girls in my what? film. And you know what? I have 100% more respect than someone who tried to bullshit it. Oh, this is fucking... Imagine getting clawing your way through the industry just to get 10-minute volleyball montage just made for you. <laughs> That's fucking I mean, pinnacle of achievement. Like the past few episodes we've recorded, Kieran, have been very much about passion projects, including this one. If your passion is tits, you know, let me create the film you want to create. You're not wrong, actually. We've actually kind of themed it up. For once, entirely purposeful, I'm going to edit all this shit out now. And uh, <laughs> so everyone listening, as you've seen, obviously, I've been smart enough to pick films that people are passionate about. Uh, and that's the kind of pushing off point for this. That's the part I'm going to leave and I'm going to edit everything else out. So I take your fucking idea, suck it, I edit this. <laughs> Pushing in. Uh, how do you explain the phallic cones then, Mike? As they descend down, is there anything like as the boxes pushing downwards? What is it called? There's got to be a word for that. The, the thing. Drop that, what I think it's like. Drop pod, yeah, that, that makes sense. That works. Um, or one of the things you go diving in. Uh, something cage? No, it's a shark cage, I'm thinking of. Diving cage? Diving cage, possibly. Yeah, that something like that. that. It has. Uh, and of course, it has very much a descent feel to it. One of the first things he goes past is, is uh, fossils of sea creatures, and the the cone things, in my personal opinion, are very much eggs. Oh, they do kind of have an alien egg feel, actually. Thinking about it, yeah, they did look utterly bizarre. He goes past machinery as well. That's where the uh, RoboCop uh, fucking robots in it. There's a Terminator as well, apparently, in some point, because he stole a load of shit from each set to use in his passion project, which, fair play. Too fucking right. Yeah. <laughs> I blame him in the slightest. I think there's some stuff from Star Wars he nicked as well. Mm. Which, again, I don't there's blame him. Terror... There's a terracotta man in there as well when they get to a bunch of statues. Um... This is all in just the first scene, the descent of this uh, of the assassin inside a tube. Yeah, I, I, it's... A, you know, part, uh, very, uh, a bunch of religious um, statues, basically. It's which... Just dense, I think. Like garden, they look like garden statues. Yeah, there's loads of stuff. It's just so dense. They're pushed in, there's so uh, much it's... stuff. I recognised a few of them being um, Buddhist, um, 
not garden, but like uh, temple statues. Excuse I, me. Yeah, I mean, maybe but, it's um, my. Uh, I, I presume what happened is he found some statues that look cool and said, "Oh, these will work well." That's what I'm following on. I'm continuing yeah, with the no I, metaphor line generally for a lot of this I, stuff. I, I agree oh. with that. I do agree. I thought because obviously my view of the plot is very simple in my personal opinion is that this is hell. So of course the religions that aren't pseudo-Christian this is where their false idols go. Oh I love that. Because I saw no um, like Christian, Christian iconography. Yeah, exactly. It was all, uh, but the ones I recognised were Buddhists, so I assumed much of a muchness and Eastern esque statues. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a really good idea. Yeah, that works. I mean, that that actually, to be fair, I can stand by that. Well, Ben, to to say you agree with that would have to be to also kind of agree with Kai's idea that it's it's hellish and like the world is no. The hell themes have. and the religion themes, I that fully, yeah, that's that's obvious enough. With Not the very really. Dante's Inferno descent, when you get to the concrete slope later in, and the Tower of Babel, religions just spew all over this thing. Yeah, I agree. There's no doubt about that, and there's some rebirth stuff in there here and there. Um, but, you know, you can have themes. You can have an overview, you can have a tone <laughs> without having to push any further. I'm continuing my own narrative. <laughs> it, it's going to get more and more me pushing something delusional through it's this. It's going to get a bit harder, mate. Yeah, it's going to get more and more white noise for me as I, I carry on. But hey, I'm, I'm going to be stubborn through this. Soon enough, we are to get to our first like bit of conflict with the assassin. Because the assassin, he's mostly just like a, an unlooker. It's like the audience... At least the first half of the film is like the audience is the assassin and we're just onlookers in this bizarre world. So yeah, yeah he's the surrogate for the audience. Yeah. What was that, sorry? Surrogate. Yeah, he's definitely the surrogate for the audience. I was agreeing with you. Yeah, yeah. And he comes across the uh, the house on the hill where there's like a, a child watching pornography in the one room. Then in the other room, there's someone being tortured. Then in the other room, someone's being stabbed. Yeah, uh, it's just... All over the place, and, and like most things in the film, never really touched on again. It's just yeah, um, I, stuff. A child. I thought one of them. Sorry, this is obviously just my memory. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. One of them is uh, someone putting a hot dog in a bun, right? I'm pretty. Maybe you. Maybe uh, what? I, I know. Just like the That's innocent like... version of it, Mark. Just the pervert. I swear it's just, it could be representative of fucking, because it very much is, seems to be oh, yeah, okay. Given this film, I'm more liable to agree with Mike on this. So what it looked like, I can't remember that bit at all. I remember the silhouettes in the like, high rise, but I, I couldn't tell you the individuals throughout. Yeah, I can tell you what they were individually doing. Um, it doesn't have any relevance beyond that. It's the the weird Hills of Eyes rancor after that, isn't it? It is, yeah. After. Uh, it's good. And the invisible ape, the fucking bandaged up thing that um, <laughs> has got no legs. Well, what I kind of liked about that scene, though, was how the invisible ape, that the bandaged man, catches some sort of creature. Then after yeah. catching that creature, catches the attention of the uh, Hills of Eyes rancor. There's like a, clearly a hierarchy in this world. 
almost yep. looks like a, a mother to the small creature because I could they look very similar or they did in my eyes same skin tone at least I, I thought it was just a totally unrelated creature I mean this is just the food chain yeah that, that's where it stands Absolutely, to yeah. me of there's a logic to the film but it's they're logical as far as we we you never understand what the logic actually is and this kind of thing no, this is just it's definitely the three of us imparting our own shit onto this. Yeah, that's why I say it defies explanation. There's definitely a logic there. There's riven to it a lot of the scenes. Um, I think that came out to me when they're, they're throwing themselves into the furnace later on, the shit ash men are just chucking themselves away. But it, it's constant. It's one after the other kind of rhythmically jumping in. There's something to it. But uh, Oh, no, that's the fuel. Uh, uh, fuel. Fair enough. That's the fuel along then, pushing in. But it, it's certainly... Yeah, it has a logic to it. I think I, the specifics can be explained. Scene, I think the specifics are, are like kind of irrelevant. Like the specifics of each scene yeah. don't necessarily matter that much, but then they like average out and come together towards some like greater idea. Absolutely, which is why this was a great choice for a show where we go scene by scene. <laughs> <laughs> where it's all audio describing a film that's all visual. <laughs> That have three very subjective views on the film. Yeah. In that case, then considering that, you know, like, it's just there's a whole load of like dumb torture shit, not dumb, very interesting torture stuff going on. Then I would like us to go, just like fast forward it a little bit to the part where there's the giants being electrocuted that shit up Yashmen. Yeah, the more eschatology. Yeah, well, when I was watching this, it kind of reminded me of like like a Dark Souls Bloodborne sort of vibe of this like these giants all around you, this you know, they're horribly horrifically being tortured. So uh, back to the whole idea of like a food chain, there's something bigger than them, something larger, more powerful than them, put them there, and the assassin is just this like mere, just complete nothingness compared to these giant creatures that are being tortured. And what I think is interesting is the giants that are being electrocuted are shitting out the next like life. And to me, it's like a, a thesis and antithesis. It's the it's the creation through destruction. So whilst the giants are being electrocuted, being tortured and being destroyed, through their destruction is the creation of this alternative life form of the Ashman. It's just shit, man. Shipman. It's just an interesting way of creating shit, man. It's not though, because it, that's the the recurring theme throughout this film is this thesis and antithesis of destruction to creation to destruction, creation destruction, and yada yada yada. It's Phil Tippett going, "What's the weirdest way we can make shit, man?" And that's not... the way he decides to make shit, man. It fucking is. It absolutely is. There's no greater fucking perception on that. It's just they shit out, man. Shit, man. Read how into do we, it how okay. you want to read into it. Following what you're saying, follow, how do we best make the shipment? We make them through destruction. And that's what that's the conclusion that Phil Tibbet came came to every time. Regardless of, even if his intention was just to like come up with a clever way to create these things, every time something is created, something is destroyed for that thing to exist. Well, that just falls into tonally what's the most horrific way we can do this oh yeah you have to harm something you have to destroy something to make it fucking creepier that's just an offhand oh that's weird yeah of course no. you've got this destruction creation vibe to it just because destruction's what you start with 
Each guy, yeah, he wouldn't have put go destruction. so much time to emphasize every single time something is destroyed. He wouldn't have he wouldn't have bothered. He would have been like, oh, this thing's just created. Like he wouldn't have worried about the destruction immediately before it because he could just go, oh, this thing's created. Now this thing exists, but no, every time something exists, there's always the synthesis of the destruction and then creation. Well, no, that's the thing. Of course, he's shown the destruction because the destruction's the point of getting the dark tone across. Something's being destroyed. That's creepy. That's dark. And he, he needs to just feather it along. And so it just so happens, oh, I'm going to create something. What's the creepiest way I can do this? What's the best way of getting from A to B? I can have a giant shitting itself out with electrocution on the top. <laughs> That's what it's fucking doing. It's just pushing on that. Okay, what's the best way of me doing this? I'll do that. I'll have a giant shit in itself. I can't find deeper meaning to fucking scat jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm pointing them out to you in that I'm not, case. I'm not doing a dissertation on scatology. And, and even then, it, it mirrors our own nature. It does. It just mirrors the whole idea of like a bird shits and it but shits seeds and those seeds plant a tree. And that's the, this film. This film is consistent with nature. That everything, even though everything is is like horrific, it always mirrors our reality. It mirrors our reality in a seemingly distorted way, only because our reality is to our own human experience not so evil. But to something living in that world, it just is their world, and their world mirrors mirrors ours perfectly. Hence, why the film is called Mad God. It's a it's a it's almost like a a fuck you to God that God is mad for creating this world that we live in to be for there to be so much suffering and. It's this parallel dimension of exactly that. Parallel dimension of a shit storm. Literally. <laughs> yeah, I, and there's not much I can say. <laughs> you, you look into it how you want to look into it, as far as I'm concerned. You take from it what you will. I will, very quickly, I forgot to mention this at the start, and I, I hate. I always hate saying this, and I say it way more than I should. Um, you'll find out if you like this film about this point. If, if you're actually going to enjoy yourself during this, it, it's really a like it or hate it kind of thing and um, there's a lot of people who fucking despise it online and i get where they're coming from you're going to understand like at this point if you are watching it you're going to know if you're going to really hate it at this point i think you didn't like it mike up until roughly here or the rancor-esque um, point up until this point i was actually bored out of my mind and i was considering yeah. turning it off. i do later i did later consider turning it off again because Although I'm making all these like arguments for this film being like a reinforcement of like postmodernism, I myself am more of a, a modernist. That makes sense. So whereas this film's argument is that everything's meaningless, everything's pointless, and that everything is subjective, and even your very argument is that everything is subjective, I think that the world should have meaning and that film should be about that things have meaning. Whereas this film is like precisely the opposite of my own personal beliefs. Well, I mean, that, there, that's the cake of the problem. It doesn't have a story, really, or it doesn't push uh, a proper narrative that you can really follow along with nice and thoroughly through. Even compared to, like, Alice in Wonderland, which is about nonsense that has more basis of a generic narrative structure than this kind of thing does. And you'll work out fairly quickly if you're going to hate it. You... Yeah, it, it's very artsy. Very, very artsy. Uh, oh, that's a bad thing. I've seen films that are less artsy and more generic structure that I hated more. It's not pretentious, my God. I don't don't take it like that. 
way. It's just a different way of pushing on it. Uh, yeah, shitty Ashman, who it's it's like a ten minute sequence, I suppose, with the uh, Ashman and the industrial workhouse, the I suppose, obelisks that they're creating. I don't know. They they have like these giant. Um, I think that's the end product. The monolithic uh, concrete slabs, the black obsidian slabs that they're all creating and it's being beamed up into a fucking saucer, basically. Ty, I've got a question for you. The, um, the Ashmen, the Shipmen, are relentlessly working their way for this like weird boss CEO but that they don't necessarily communicate with, but treats them terribly. And What, what, what kind of, what, what does that remind you of? <laughs> well, it begins with a C, but I just can't think what it's called. Call centers. That's not far. Capitalism. Ah, that's the one. Yes, the industrial revolution bringing about uh, capitalism. When I like the first thirty minutes of this, I agree with you. I do because it. It. I was when I first watched it. I was thinking. Is this just like a, a retelling? Because he's he's gone through several layers at this point. One of which could you is a bit more sexualized than others. You could say that's the second level, and then there's an argument to be made for each level of hell corresponding with each level he goes through. Um, the shit one, like the one you're, you know, we were discussing, could be uh, greed, for example. The creatures underneath the shit people constantly feeding upon the byproduct of the beings above. Um, but then we get into the, you know, the ship workers, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Basically using, doing pointlessness, pointless working for something that does not care for them. And of course, beforehand, you have the massive amounts of... Um, industrialized imagery i mean hell um not to mention beforehand the very first layer he goes to or ends up as the assassin is basically a street corner you see lamps you see houses you see ruins um so you could make the ah this is anti-capitalism you know but that idea falls off to me by the end unless of course it could just be separate statements for each part that could also be a thing yeah you know i agree could know. Be, this could be a statement on capitalism in of itself but even if it's not i still think it works with the idea of mirroring our reality our current capitalist reality of us just being effectively shit people uh, that do meaningless tasks to fund the lives of the rich isn't that cheery and of course, the CEO being a giant baby that, uh, well, maybe not giant, but a baby uh, projected, projecting in, uh, on Twitter. Monitors. Yeah, like, uh, what, what's his name? Elon Musk uh, <laughs> of Twitter. Oh, fuck, Twitter. fuck off. I don't need people sending hate mail in from you as well. I don't need to add it to. I don't need a fucking brigade coming down. I mean, I'm not necessarily saying I think Donald Trump or Elon Musk are babies that post loads of the babyish thoughts on Twitter, but I'm saying that Phil Tippett might be a liking this to our reality. 
Yeah. Okay, this is all Phil Tippett, the presumption of what Phil Tippett thinks. I don't need the fucking brigades coming down. Um, yeah, uh, just just as a basis outside <laughs> of the philosophy, uh, it's disgusting, that baby, and I nearly threw up after re-watching it, not just watching it. Don't eat while watching this. Oh, I had a fucking Sunday roast. Oh, I roast. did. I had a Sunday roast this morning. I was like re-watching it, going through it, eating potatoes and shit. I felt sick seeing just that baby portion. I don't know why. I don't know what set me off, but it's mouth. Yeah, it's pretty horrendous. Basically, if you've got a weak stomach, don't watch this film. What do the um big creature things represent then, Mike? The managers. Those are the middle-level managers. <laughs> All middle managers. They're not fucking ugly or horrible enough to represent middle-level managers. They're not pointless. Oh, they are pointless <laughs> enough. They're definitely fucking pointless <laughs> enough. Those things think they're the shit they're Those so, things just like oh. shit on all the workers. They literally, literally shit on the workers. You no, know, I'm fucking with you now. They're self-important enough, arrogant enough, and fucking dickish enough to be. And they have managers. whips. I fucking. They straight up have whips. All to yeah. serve the great Twitter baby overlord. <laughs> There's even a moment where the assassin like considers: should I, should I free the proletariat from there? From their baby Twitter overlord. <laughs> As the mid-level manager comes, he just thinks, fuck it, I'll go downstairs instead. No, I work with that. I mean, on the through line, the uh, the shit, shit people, they, they die off constantly. Callously a lot of the time. It's just seemingly workplace I, accidents consistently. I would, I'd like to say that as much as I love this film, there are some moments that I, it does struggle slightly with tone. Because some of the ways these shit things die is so fucking funny. <laughs> the way that it's animated. You could add a soundtrack like to some of them, like a proper boy wing. Yeah, like when one of the monoliths just fly along and take out half of it. And it's just kind of on the floor. I wasn't expecting to laugh. <laughs> like, and of course the gnomes from before. I will not stop mentioning the fucking gnomes. But... It, there are some moments where I do feel like it does struggle with tone, but you have this. I wouldn't say it's a bad thing because any point where I'm laughing is good, but I don't think this is the film. I don't think it was necessarily needed. What is it? There's that sort of not the Office, um, but the the TV show The Office, which is like a a parody of Office Life, and the whole premise of the, yeah. the show is that it's so it's so sad you have to laugh. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. They die so offhandedly, it's so horrific that you can do nothing but laugh at it. It's so absurdist, but it links so closely to general office life. It's so pointless that you can't do anything but laugh at it. And that, that I'll stand with as well, yeah. It is funny, though. It is fucking hilarious. Watching <laughs> it is. Where one of them just gets pushed into a fucking grinder accidentally. And he, <laughs> he does the thing with his arms, like he's trying to stop himself falling twirling them round. Yeah, it, it's fucking and ridiculous. They're, like, they're erecting these giant stones to make up a pyramid or whatever the fuck they're actually doing it for. And, like, one of them, like, wipes his brow and, like, leans against the thing and it creates a domino effect that just fucking takes out an entire group of them. It's just like... Okay. Was this just, like, a ten-minute segment to lead up to that joke? <laughs> It's funny, it's, it's interesting because like, the monoliths do come up later on. As whether yeah. monoliths are some sort of you know, like staple of this world in its existence. Even perhaps our own world in existence. 
Jack, they didn't seem to have any point to them when they actually did come in, unless there was some sort of like gate to keep things. Up. I can't really explain what they are. As I said, well, there's, there's no logic to it. Well, I think the pointlessness is I, intentional. Yeah, possibly, but I also think that uh, later on, March, March later on, in like the third act, I guess I'll call it, when the um, the crow mask, uh, the witch doctor's mask who I think is the devil in this allegory for my own saying, uh, the fucking awesome creature, you know, the one with the big hat with lots of fetishes dangling off of it, carrying the weird demon baby. Oh, the Grim Reaper looking motherfucker. Yeah, either the Grim Reaper or the devil. I think it's the devil, but... No, that works, yeah, devil works. Um, when he's moving, when it's moving along, you see him move through basically a load of these stone obelisks and they move for him like he's moving through a space or building with these things in it whether or not they're connected doesn't matter but like i think it, it, it in my own image of what the story is that these things are essentially trying to make another tower or just serving the devil in this aspect. Okay, so uh, outside of all that, we've obviously got he leaves eventually, moving on from all the capitalist hellscapes into uh, a completely different hellscape, more a sitcom-esque outline. Um, the suitcases. Yeah, so the suitcases first. Kind of actually, I, I only played it after, but it's got a lot of Little Nightmares vibes to it in terms of the actual uh, iconography. Absolutely. Cinematography for it. Uh, it's got the same um, esoteric nature when it comes to plot as well. Both of them are, don't give you much information at all, and they're both nonsense through most of it. It's actually really close to Little Nightmares now I think about it. I agree, yeah. Mm. So, what do we reckon? These suitcases, are these previous attempts from assassins or not? I think so, yeah. I think that was the implication. <laughs> Uh, are we all in agreement? Yeah, I think we are all in agreement on that. Okay, well, the next, next question is, why does the man upstairs want to bum, bum the place? Um, is it a shithole? Because it's hell. So is the place where the, the people are being sent from that hell? Oh, he wants to bomb the whole thing. In my mind, like you get the bomb to the centre, you take out everything. And then you just restart it. That's what he wants to do. That's the idea. I wouldn't quite... I, I see, I thought it was just... Um, a rival faction on this universe, not necessarily because it's like the um I, that, on the surface it's like the Nazis. Well, that I'm fully going against. There's no implication that there's factions fucking going at each other. There's there nothing is nothing to support like that. Assassins, and then there's like yeah, the that's that's no. It, there's a load of things that are individual in their own little fucking corners. There's nothing to combine them in any sense, except granted the assassins and the man, but that's just one another individual. I... On his own. There's no factions. There's at least two factions. Although, I will say this. In terms of, you know, the whole... Yeah, but I think, maybe not heaven, but possibly purgatory. But, either way, are you saying that why would the man in a yarmulke want to, ki- want to blow up hell? Yeah, it's an interesting thing, you know, um, Jewish religion doesn't have a hell in it. 
Uh, they actually they've never yes. pushed it forward. It's a purely uh, Catholic thing in origin. Obviously, it was taken up by other uh, Abrahamic stuff eventually. Um, I know Protestantism took it up eventually. Uh, but yeah, the Jewish religion never gave any uh, credence to it. Never really gave any credence to heaven either. Uh, from what I understand, at least, I'm going to butcher this, I'm sure, so correct me somewhere if anyone's listening to this that knows far better than me. Uh, they, they, they believe you just live on in the minds of your ancestors and the minds of the people who kind of remember you, um, which think the, the idea that the alchemist is Jewish, wants to blow up this uh, hellscape. Not the alchemist, the lone man. Uh, the lone man. I was fucking remembering all these names that aren't even tossed out here. From DB pushing through the last man. man, the last the man, one, the main dude. By the way, why do you want to blow up hell? A million reasons, all of which are correct. Again, there are literally like dudes in like German World War Two soldier armor, or even World War One soldier armor, because you know, they wear the same helmets that were laying siege to his house. the The place is like all the anti aircraft guns in the very, very first scene. Could well be, but more of the like a, a never extension of that faction. No, it's not. And then there are like tanks. There does seem to be like some sort of World War Two. Yeah. Like, look, because it like, looks cool. That's and the, the guy with the yeah, so... just happens to want to defeat the Nazis. No, it's, it's, you're looking into it too much. It's just it looks cool, and German iconography is cool looking stuff. Now here's a question. Here's a question then. That will either lay credence or not so much. The director. The guy who started the thing. Is he Jewish? Uh I have no idea. Fuck it. Uh I don't think so by the looks of it. Uh oh. No, possibly. Fuck <laughs> No, no, he isn't. I don't think. How do you know? You just you just don't know because that's one thing. No, I'm really... looking at list of Jewish Academy Award winners quickly, and it says it it doesn't have his name in it, but it's alongside it's a uh, a Jewish individual and alongside him. Uh, yeah, who won it alongside him? So no, I don't think he is. Did Phil Tippett ever win that? Uh, he won something. Yeah, he's won awards, plenty of awards. Clearly, is he's a. Uh, Genius, but no, I don't think yeah. it is. I, I don't think it's that. deliberately meant to be German soldiers. I think it's just meant to be soldiers because the assassins themselves share very similar outfits. Yeah, and I think yeah, I do agree. German soldier stuff's very iconic as well. If you're going to pick on something, go for something that's readily available and people will recognize very quickly. Uh, could be I mean, hell, thing. he could just be, he could have been copying the Death Corps of Krieg. They <laughs> wear gas masks and World War helmets, you know. Well, to mention 40k earlier. That's where the cool stuff comes in, it's just, it's what people jump for. I hadn't even noticed that the lone man had worn, um, like, a yarmulke, until you mentioned it, Kippa, yarmulke. I hadn't noticed that he even wore any sort of, like, Jewish clothing until the point you mentioned it, so the whole, whole idea that these were even, like, German soldiers hadn't occurred to me. All, all I could gather from what that happened was that there's his faction of the what they called the assassins, and there's this other faction of people that are like trying to shoot them out the sky as they land. 
and there are also seemingly other factions in the world because we do get like a clip where there's like tanks firing at each other and unless they're just random people that happen to make their own tanks for no you know like because there's clearly like an established industry in this world see i i think you're grouping people up too much and giving too much um credence to a lot of these people i think it's more along the lines of the rancor at the start the the hillbilly rancor when around, it's that isolated. There are just things around that do stuff. Things again, are created. Again, another another instance of like the existence of factions. There, are, there is literally an anarchist faction that bombed the buildings at the like, you know, like towards the that's, end that we've seen. That's before this world's created, though. That is, Employed. but it's only it's only just like another repetition. It's only like ah. Re- from the postmodernist perspective of like art, oh, everything's subjective. Nothing's right or wrong. As postmodernists often like to, you know, remind you of everything's wishy washy and nothing's ever ever real. Is ah, oh, <clears throat> just in the way those uh, anarchists decided to bomb those buildings. Now the assassins are trying to bomb this other group of people. You know, it's just this theme of recurrence again. I think the problem with factions for me is just that it's it, it, too much in the idea that they want to progress something. They've got an ideal they're pushing towards, and I just don't think that's true. Like anarchism, for example. Yeah, like anarchism. That's that's the one. There's an anarchy symbol. That I'll give you perfectly well. There's an anarchy symbol there. They're blowing shit up. That's fair. Uh, but so, everything else, every little creature, I don't think so. There, there's what? some overarching weird plot with the uh, devil. Let's just call it the devil. The sake of consistency and the nurses. I couldn't call it, I couldn't call it the devil because that's just an insult to me. And also, this like the I people in this case where he does get captured by the, the nurse and yep. everyone else, they, they are like actually like sentient. Or, or they're pretty much human beings. They're pretty much people as we would know them today, but live in the dark crevices of this place. It kind of reminds me of like Fallout, wherein the the surface has just been annihilated by nuclear war or whatever the god knows what. Then you've got everyone just living in vaults. And to the people that are living in vaults, everyone above them is, uh, you know, effectively super mutants, just like the assassin is. Yeah. Yeah. This so, is... go ahead. Could it be that there is no supernatural element to this? Well, it's just I Earth, agree, Earth gone to shit because it's just Earth has utterly gone to shit. Yeah, I could and be. And these like... things are just mutants. Oh, that can't ever be a thing. Earth's a fucking peaceful, beautiful place. We're not on and the hinge of disaster. We're not on the eve of destruction at all. We and the sky well. people with one Jew fellow in uh, a using a map made of human skin? Question mark? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they send down a soldier. Soldiers. Nah, nah. Heaven's <laughs> blowing up Earth. I think. Uh, also, Possibly a hell on Earth scenario. On with something concrete then. Outside of the um, philosophical, the surgeons and stuff in front of, like in opera, I suppose a classic operating theatre where people used to watch in, and there's like a laugh track, and I think a sitcomy vibe to it at the start, which is very creepy. Uh, I think it was that. Hey. This scene and the surgery afterwards. This is the one part of the film I don't like. It's almost like the reverse of you, Mike. This was the point where I was like, oh, I want to turn this off now. Yeah. I really didn't like this. The next, like, 20 minutes of the film. 
I did ask. I was quite bored. Yeah. Bored? Yeah. Fair enough. It does get quite the... uh, indulgent. The the, uh, the the dissection part is what really uh, bothered me because uh, it was, the, I don't know, same punchline, I guess, even though it wasn't comedy, but it was just, it was a bit too on the nose for me personally. They're cutting into a, a human being or a body and they're ripping out gold. And then they're ripping out gems, greed. Then they're ripping out the Bible, removing the Bible from the body, you know. And then all that is left is this demonic creature that's this parasite within this thing. Kind of a Pandora's box, box like, okay. this thing, taking out the last shrivel of hope. Uh, it's weird you say that. Is I did ask around, like what people thought about it before I jumped in. I'm, Take this with a grain of salt, because I was asking on Reddit and some Discord stuff around horror. And a lot of people did say, I checked out this scene because I couldn't sit through it, because it was too bad for me, uh, too horrific, too indulgent in the gore. Oh, it wasn't horrific. That, sort of thing. that wasn't the problem. It was the fact that it was just one note of gore. Ah, it so- was. I'll, I'll tell you why maybe I'm a bit meh to this scene. Is because I've seen a magic show where this was one of the tricks. They cut open a body and kept pulling shit out of it. Well, that's maybe what I mean. that's why. Yeah, it's hitting one note constantly at home, which is why some people who are freaked out by this had to check out here. Is it so repetitive on hitting the same thing over and over again? And some people that was a bit too much. See, I thought you were going to mention the clock, like the clock, which just never fucking gets the point. It just ticks. I think that's... Oh, I like that. Yeah, I like the sound good. design of that. I, I mean, I liked it too, but I, I, to be honest, when I was watching it, it did kind of piss me off. I was like, alright, I get the fucking point now. Time moves slowly. <laughs> Maybe that's the point. It's like a uh, multiple-layered thing. It's making time move slowly for the viewer as well. Yeah, Just I agree. We are actually... the clock over and over again. We are still the assassin at this point, but the assassin's still the, the viewpoint of the audience. I don't think that's the assassin anymore. Because the uh, scene prior, when they're taking off its clothes, what is left is undeniably not human. His clothes? I thought he looked pretty human. I did. Move his clothes off. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking I've ever seen, but I think that was just the assassin. Yeah, shoved on a plate. It because... looked like the elong. It looked very much like an elongated neck. No, like. The, the bit that people are viewing, the one with the laugh track, right, I think that is that is the assassin. Yeah. That, you know, is being, you know, having its shit removed. And you can clearly see the, the form on the table after its mask has been removed, after its helmet, is not human. Is that has this really long, elongated neck. Yeah, no, it did. To be fair, um, he did have an elongated neck, but I just thought I just passed that off as the art style. Yeah, that might, like, might just be an overlook. maybe. I I could be very wrong, but it's just the fact that the patient on the table after that is very humanoid, is very human. There's one reason why we know that that's still the assassin because we do look into that thing's memories, the one on the table, and yep. that is looking for assassin. That's like the second uh, act. 
uh, seeing the assassin's journey from the start to the point where we get to the start of the film. Um, sort of, or another assassin, God knows what. But looking at the uh, memories through, yeah, that's making fair. Whether or not it's our assassin, another assassin. It, yeah. None of that's not relevant because the assassins are just going to do this perpetually to the end of time, aren't they? And to the end of other times as well. Well, yeah, they've done it in history perpetually. Um, so, yeah, try, try, try I, again. Have some optimism, I, Mike. At first, you don't uh, succeed. You could just consider, like, unlike, consider the the, the the set of all the possible assassins. Maybe not. The assassin that we look at could well be different from from one scene, a different assassin, but it doesn't matter because they're the set of all the assassins and every assassin goes through the exact same journey and cycle. Maybe not third time lucky, maybe three thousandth time lucky. Have some optimism. The, reason, the main reason why I don't think it's an assassin is because of the creature they pull out of it. The um, weird little worm thing. The baby demon thing, yes. That weird and the significance thing. that that is given. Because if every single one of these assassins have that thing in it, I would have thought that would have been given more context or more... Um, because it, it does have a point. Even if all three of us are wrong, It there is a point to this. No, yeah. that, that's my uh, point. It, it doesn't have a point, and that fucking helps me. They're not given any explanation no, because there is no point. It does point. have a point. It does have a point now. It does have a point. Uh, the point I, is I swear that it's just to, an of the never-ending cycle of suffering. If you try to bring and a metaphor to the slug thing they pull out of this guy. It's the same thing with the shit monsters. It's the destruction of one entity to bring about the creation of another. Fuck's sake. It is. It's the, it's the, same, it's the same antithesis, same synthesis. It's just all the destruction of the assassin brings about the next stage of life, the next stage of creation. Or it's just a slug monster that they pull out of his or, body. Or it's another bomb. Just think about what happens. They crush it into the magical dust, which creates another universe, or whatever the fuck that segment is, which ends up with the ag- an- uh, anarchists setting off the bomb, which also sets off the bomb that that assassin put in the suitcase area, which causes that to blow. Yeah, I don't think it causes that to blow necessarily. Well, it certainly lines up. I won't pretend to understand. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree, kind of agree with what you're saying to the point of it just detonates that bomb because I do think it's this like it's a never-ending pointless cycle of pointlessness that brings about more life, which will inevitably be destroyed for it to be created again, and etc. 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 I'm getting some deja vu. Well, yeah, that's that. A lot of the scenes are like a, a repetition of that exact same cycle, just presented in different ways. Mm. Don't get me wrong. It it might just be me looking for more of a plot than there is. Like I would fully admit that if that is the case, that. It, it's me going, oh, there is a plot. Like, I can see the links that, you know, this is the assassination plot. I mean, why would they be called assassins either way? Like, either way, yeah. you know, like the names or because I fucking like overthinking shit <laughs> in terms of looking into things that it's 
but not smart enough to look at the allegory of it, just like what the plot is. It might even end up that all three of us are correct, and this motherfucker director's just sticking with everyone. Well, as I say, I think Phil Tibbet, if he opened the cube in Hellraiser, I think he'd be a Cenobite. I think that this film is like his admission, <laughs> deep down he's a Cenobite, but obviously he can't just come out and say, yeah, I'm a fucked up geezer. I'm I'm nutty deep down inside. The film the film's arbitrary. It's all it's all it's all an admission of my postmodernist theory that everything is is meaningless and up to, that there is anarchy and everything's pointless and we should just sort of um, reduce it. We should be we should be we should, everyone should analyze this film in their own right. But I think his execution of that, of that like premise, because I think that is ultimately his premise of postmodernism in that like he wants everyone to watch the film to create their own sort of theory as to what the film's about. He wants everyone to effectively be a like a philosopher in like postmodernism where everyone derives their own meaning. But that's exactly the point of postmodernism, is that everything is uh the meaning of everything is entirely subjective and there is no objective truth to anything. And this hmm. film itself is set up in a way to where there is no objective truth to anything, which is exactly the point of Phil Tibbet, because he wants there to only be subjective truth, as I think Phil Tibbet is a postmodernist. And I think that if I was, I'm not religious myself, but I think if I was religious, and I think many religious people uh, share this viewpoint, that postmodernism is effectively Satan drugging its claws into the world to d- decide that everything is pointless and that everything is subjective to take the meaning away from God. So with your like, religious notes, I kind of agree because postmodernism is totally against religion because if everyone can have their own subjective view as to reality and what meaning is within reality, it negates the existence of God. Because if all of our subjective realities are correct, then there is no objective reality. Therefore, God cannot exist. And this is, in a sense, Phil Tibbet's great big fuck you to Judeo-Christianism through the lens of postmodernism. Why couldn't I have got hmm. Steph to do this with me? We'd have been over in like <laughs> 20 minutes. <laughs> over and done with We'll have to think. To that, to that, Kieran, just a quick question. Did you say there was an interview about this film with him? Yeah, there was. And he said there is no point. Yeah. Mike, Could it be? Mike's delving into the id. I'm not, kind of. Once again, that's postmodernism to say there is no point because it's all subjective, it's all relative to everyone. No, not. There's no point in a philosophical sense. Fuck off. Don't indulge <laughs> on that side of shit. There, there's just no point. Sometimes an orange is an orange. And there's a common trend in film where. For example, the suitcase in pop fiction, how people constantly read into this and attribute wildly different things to the director as well. Like it's the director's opinion on this or this. When in reality, the director just went, no, No, it's just a suitcase with something cool in it. That's exactly what I'm saying. It could be very well similar to this. It is. It might not be, it might be subconscious, obviously, but that's fucking the void beyond. It could very well just be a 
cool depiction of hell, or just a fucking nutter's view of it. Yeah. My argument is either this guy's a Cenobite, and that's <laughs> where he came up with all this stuff, or the point of it all is effectively a manifestation of his opinions of postmodernism. Yeah, I, I still feel like you're reading too much into it, and there is no point. So either he's a Cenobite, so there's no point, no, and this fucker's like, not, come on, not, this not, yeah, yeah, I think it's Cenobite. just he sat down and went, oh, that's cool, that's cool. That's cool. I don't think you need to be a Cenobite to do that. You can do that and be just a normal person. I don't think you can. Not with this. Not with this, you can't. Not with this sort. To come up with really sick, twisted shit and just be like, just put it out there purely because it's cool. Not for not for any sort of, like, opinion of your own. Not for any sort of expression of any sort of greater meaning. If you're doing that just for the sake of it, you are a Cenobite. Let me rephrase that. Not cool, but he said, look what I can do with stop motion. As Ty said at the start, look what I can do with stop motion. Isn't this amazing? I think yeah, have you seen the internet? Passion for stop motion. The internet's full of Cenobites. The internet's full of extremely <laughs> fucked people. But anyway, on to like actually pushing through the stuff since uh, it's gone for hours. Fuck me. Uh, we've got the fucking My Chemical Romance extras, the nurse and the surgeon who are taking the baby over to. Um, I mean, for the sake of it, Mike, you can disagree that it is the devil, but I'm going to call it the devil just for consistency to make it easier on everyone. Hold on. But so sorry to stop it there as well. Yeah, sure. Earlier, Mike, you did say it was an insult to call it the devil. What would you call it? I'm genuinely curious. Um, I wouldn't call it the devil because the devil implies that it's evil. I don't think it's evil. Okay, fair enough. So perhaps death, because the imagery very much resembles that as well. It does very much like a look like a Greek Reaper type creature. Death works. But once again, it death. also causes creation. So I wouldn't sort of call it death. Death, death causes creation. You said about the bird it's shit. You said about yeah. the bird shit earlier, and that's that's the theme you're pushing forward for this film. In it's death, there is life. It's beyond our comprehension. Well, well, I'm going to call the, it the, the devil. reason why I, I, I the reason why I call it the devil is because it's clearly the same creature that is standing on top of the Tower of Babel. I'd have to watch you rewatch. At the very beginning. And look again. I need to re-look at that now. You've yeah. made me really need to look at that. Also, or at least I think it does anyway, it has the same kind of flowing uh, clothes. It's obviously very far away. It has the same flowing clothes and hat. Oh, that is actually amazing. You're right. I've just looked, Googled it, and you're right. It very much does look like that at the top, top of the top table. But top and top. also the fact that the kind of the world, which I think is hell, obviously I could be wrong, which would shatter my entire thing of view of the film, but and hell basically moves for him or it. And obviously everything is subservient to this thing. The nurse is very clearly terrified of it, but still passes this child to it. Um, the alchemist or whatever the fuck that creature is by the end, um, he's clearly subservient to it as well. The dogs that are guarding whatever gate it's called, um, the small child calling it mama, the weird baby thing in that ruin. Everything is subservient to him. And if this is hell, which is what I think it is, it would make sense that it is the devil. It helps as well, they're seemingly at the bottom. 
by the end of that point, they're at yeah. the, uh, the the absolute desolate end point. You know, I I can agree with you insofar as suppose this were how, then I think that this would be a very high ranking official within how, not necessarily the <laughs> devil, but it's something <laughs> akin to the devil. You think they've got a fucking hierarchy Maybe. in hell? They've got like fucking employee of the week. Well, they've got uh, the um, television baby, so. Well done, you, you made well, more we... shit monsters this week than last week. You fulfilled your quota. Have a fucking raise. If we're talking about how hell is always betrayed, yes, there is a very, very distinct, clear hierarchy in hell. Actually, no, yeah, yeah, you are right. There's always been a hierarchy <laughs> through that. No, yeah, even in the original Catholic sense, there was a clear angel-esque hierarchy. That is fair. Um, but either way, Again, yeah. it is hell, but I would agree that it's, you know, if it was hell. And, um, of course, the devil used to be an angel, so the fact that it doesn't look like anything else that is in hell also lays grievance to it. But, of course, I could be wrong. <laughs> like, that's the thing. Yeah, we could all be wrong, <laughs> in a sense. Again, well, I don't possible for us to be wrong. Besides the fact that I think that this is inherently postmodernist, I don't think I don't think I could be wrong in that respect. But I think with respect to because postmodernism is all about it's all up to interpretation. Everything's to be interpretive, and I think because of it's up to interpretation, it makes it inherently postmodernist. No, you can be wrong. I think you, you can be wrong. You can push the head. You can push too far into it. Is the film all the, about interpretation? The idea that it. No, I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It, there's no interpretation. I think you're going too far into it. I'm going to say again that you are pushing way too close and saying, "Oh, there is interpretation." No, there isn't. There is, is that not like our own reality? Is that is that not like our own reality? Which once again, the the, the universe mirrors. Is that no? Not like our, it's just all pointless. No, now, just, now you're going first year philosophy student on us. No, no, there isn't. Our reality just is the reality. You don't need to interpret shit. Just. So, uh, so just in the same way that our reality is our reality, you're saying that this film just is the film. Yeah. No mirror there. Is that I, not in itself an interpretation? In the, no. You're in no. a paradox. In you're, the sense that yes, it has connections to the world because bizarrely, the guy who made it is from this world. So clearly, there's going to be a connection because that's what he's deriving cool-looking shit from. Okay, I'm not saying if you're taking that as an interpretation, yes, I'm not saying there's no interpretation whatsoever. Because clearly it's impossible. It's a film, so there has to be an interpretation if that's the basis that you're going off of. I'm saying there's nothing advanced in the slightest to look into. It's just a basic four-year-old holding up his skeletal model and going, look at this, isn't this cool? That's what I'm standing by. Either way, um, yeah, pushing on on cool shit. Yeah, he travels through. There's the bulls at the gate. <laughs> yeah, I'm fucking expediating. Uh, and I can't remember at what point we go from this section to the last man. Yeah, uh, yeah I uh, think it's the... from here, pretty much. The uh, doctor in the surgery rips out the baby. It's like a tentacle baby leech thing. Uh, gives it to the nurse. She wraps up, leaves. Then the doctor drills a hole in the what 
uh, you guys are saying is the assassin, um, its head, and then puts a pipe into it, and then he watches something on a screen, and then that turns into the last man. Yeah, and the um, three witches, the grey witches, straight out Greek mythology, with one eye to hand between them. Pop that into your metaphor. I dare you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, skin map that slowly disintegrates again, just a really cool little feature um, we've gone over most of this, if anyone does want to touch on anything or if not, yeah I'm happy to get back, get to the um, get to the alien invasion that ensues when he gets down there oh, and he, he's sent off into his uh, little dive cage with his map in hand Push down uh, the L. Would... The last man keeps an eye on everything. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I would like to just bring up something. Um, the this segment of the film quite m- very much mirrors the first part in the sense of uh, the assassin is an onlooker to the horrors and other shit that is going on in this world, hell, earth, whatever. It, it may be. Um, apart from one key difference, in my opinion, the first assassin is always descending throughout his entire journey. He's always going down. Um, whereas the second one is moving along. He's never going down until the very, very end. But he's always moving along. I've seen some Something... stuff online um, which corroborates with the uh, Judeo-Christian angle that you were going for. That at the start, it's the same assassin all the way through, and you're just seeing his journey just before he he goes down the other dive cage, something like that. And he's progressing through Earth initially, and when he gets to the um, the concrete spiral bit, that's when he's falling into hell, and that's when he's he's trying to blow up that portion. I've I've seen some interpretations along the lines of that. Uh, no, I disagree with that because during the second part where he's travelling along in the Jeep, he goes through the area with statues that in the first part of the film he descends past in the uh diving bell. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no he does. Um so yeah, it's for sure he he gets on a bike when he's he's descended down. And then we get a lot of... Uh, it's very World War One-esque. Uh, it falls yeah. into basically the Battle of the Somme, more or less with shit just flying over, constant artillery bombardments, no man's land, stylization on the ground. Uh, incredibly red in terms of the uh, overall lighting. It, it kind of jumps between red and blue lighting, depending on whereabouts they are. There's even an alien invasion as well. There's like literally like the War of the Worlds tripods that start landing down around him during the battles. See, I, like would, lots of I would be bizarre. surprised if that's just shit, again, from Phil Tippett going, oh, I've got this really fun thing that I've created at one point and I've stole it and I want to use it. Yeah, I mean... It's I the gnomes. It's... Oh, it's the gnomes. They've landed. <laughs> No, it's going to turn out to be like, what is it, the fucking ending of Sun Hill with a dog? It just zooms out, there are gnomes pushing levers back and forth. They were the brains behind everything. Yeah, the dog was like the, the ruler of everything. But I think, in terms of the specifics of like the overall theme, I think all of this like next section, up until the very end, 
is just more of just like an exploration of the world kind of i wouldn't say filler but as close sort of fillerish because it's like i feel like at this point i'm actually more more aligned to agree with kieran where because he, he's already established phil tibbet's already established like the, the tones that i'm going for he doesn't revisit them to the end and be like yeah this is this is my my personal not my personal he doesn't consciously think it necessarily but he doesn't necessarily go this film is nihilistic pointless and postmodernist until the very end but at this point in the film it's like here's a slideshow of all these interesting things and i will agree yeah perfect so yeah even if we can't agree that's the whole thing there are parts of it where tippet's just going off look what i can do isn't this cool isn't this amazing yeah that's that is is like the more realistic stuff in a sense it's not like it's that surreal at this point you're just seeing the earth, the leftovers of like civilization. And if it's not um, surrealist, it's very I, nice. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Ty. I would also disagree with that uh, on two accounts. The things he witnesses in it, i.e. the creatures, he sees the shit people. They're I, different than shit people, are they? are a bit different. There's a few of them that are different. Uh, the noises are the same. A lot of the, I think it's... There's also a lot of the creatures. There was also the bull-headed creature having an orgy. Yeah. So, I, I, I don't think that either. I personally, I believe that it's uh, either the first layer of hell or purgatory. I think if if we were going with the hell analogy, it would be it would be too nice to be purgatory. Again, I think that this is like just just a reinforce not reinforcing, just a continuation of like previous ideas of the um sort of pointless existentialism. I do think this is the point in the film where it's where I go with Kim, where it's like here's loads of cool shit. Because at some point in a film, you've got to make it. You want to make it an hour and a half. You might as well just put stuff in there that's like just cool for the sake of being cool. And I think this is the part. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I want to say. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying the film itself is entirely like pointless to watch. No one should ever watch it. It's fucking fun. And this portion, I really enjoyed. Still, even if it has no uh, overarching in my sense, you don't need oh, a theme yeah. to be fun I... to watch. This is great. We normally say this at the end, but I think we can all agree we like this film, right? Yeah. For three very different reasons, apparently. <laughs> yeah, or we've derived three def- very different opinions, <laughs> or. Uh, what we think the plot is or what we think the purpose is. Watch this film. I <laughs> watch this fucking film. Join it's a good argu- film. Join the argument. It's very interesting. Tell me why I'm wrong. Tell me why I'm wrong. Why Kieran's wrong about it just being like the entire film is nothing but just what can I put into a film? What can I do with stop motion? I so wish yeah. I could have Steph here just as a yes man. To go. I know. I know for a fact he'd have agreed with me on every fucking point. Why? You know, I I don't think he would. I don't, I think I've Steph disagreed with him on him. so much I shit. Think Steph would like this film. No, he'd fucking. No, I think yeah. Steph would agree with me, but it's fact. But partially agree with me. Obviously, I don't think that's like the whole. I point think he, he might be like, "There's a war going on." He might agree with you that it's got all this allegory shit, which is why it's a terrible film. Oh, that's true. Opinion. That's true. <laughs> yeah. That might be the stuff. So that's why takes. we're here now. I'll have to show it. Frogon, I'll have to that's show it. That's why we had to kill Steph. That's until I get uh, Michelle Rodriguez clone to shove his body into, shove his mind into, <laughs> to ready all that shit. That's the plan. Uh, so yeah, we get 
bike shit, rides through, uh, that breaks down. Eventually we get to a jeep that he rides along. It's really fucking good, the stop motion as well. It's so fluid. Mm. That pushes along, radio comes on, smacks it. Nice and standard stuff. The map continuing to uh, disintegrate little by little. Graveyard of Skulls, No Man's Land. Uh, it's all fun stuff. There's graffiti on the wall at some point, and I'm pretty sure it says Joey's a retard. Uh, oh, yeah. I think that. I'm fairly certain that's what it was. I, I paused it for a second, and it might be a T on the end, or as a retard. But I've, I've got no fucking clue. I think it's I think it's Joe's a retard. Um, and then, really, when we push him back into it, there's a load of suitcases that he eventually passes by, which to me kind of indicates that, yeah, this is, a, a to an extent, it's been tried again and again and again. And many, many failures before he's gone on this journey himself. I actually can't remember how this finishes. The, bit, uh, the second act, let's call it, for the sake of, uh, of pushing this up and making it a bit easier to box, where you see the memories or whatever, whoever it goes through. How, how does it end again? I know it after it goes underground through the um, concrete labyrinth, like it's driving... Uh, you just driving the ground underground forever. Like it, just, it, it just, just ends there. Driving deeper and deeper and deeper. Then it pans back yeah. to the pans to the alchemist. Oh right, it does just end there. Okay, perfect. Right, I I saw it. I thought it was missing notes or some shit, but yeah, it does end there. Perfect. Uh, back to the hospital in the grim, floating. Uh, oh, that's where the the maze comes in, and we've got all the the balls on the gates, um, and then we get the alchemist who I fucking compared it to one of the witches from uh, Witcher Three. Um. What, the one with the bucket on its head? The fat one? Pretty much. I thought it was like a gate. I thought it was just like like a, a cleaner, you know, like a, a servant, like a butler or something. I mean, pretty much. Because he just servant. spends the majority of the time on screen cleaning. Yeah. He does that alchemy shit. Fucking pulls a lever occasionally. He doesn't read the book. That was all uh, death, devil, whatever. And uh, torture some monkeys. <laughs> oh, I fucking love that point. That fight with the oh, monkeys. Yeah, and they're fighting each other. Yeah. I mean, might as well yeah. jump into that because the, most of the stuff, it's uh, before we get to the uh, alchemist's little world. We get onto the monkeys who are shoveling. I mean, fucking guess what? Guess what they're shoveling? What's been the fucking consistent theme through this? Scatology. They're shoving their own shit. And they're, they're constantly fighting each other as one accidentally lobs shit over the other and then proceeds. I don't know how these things aren't fucking dead, to be fair, because the, the two fights batter each and every one of them. They look fucking half dead by the end of it. A poked out eye, fucking shovel around the head. How are they still standing? Because, yeah, because they're in hell and this is their torture. Oh, yeah. The that is why. Shovel shit. The alchemist battering each other. It's really well done. Sounds great. Uh, the monkeys look terrifying. They've got this uh, rabid feel to them. It's just yeah, pretty fun stuff. Uh, nothing to really say beyond that. So, Mike, I'll let you uh, start on this. The alchemist's little purple world. Some Alice in Wonderland shit in there, obviously, with the teacups and some inspiration. The alchemist is a bit of an interesting one because I think the alchemist. He is, in a sense, potentially, you could describe him as a mad god, or 
You could even describe him as like Phil Tibbet himself. Because the alchemist has the power of creation, the alchemist has all of this knowledge in books with the ability to create. In fact, the alchemist even has some of his own miniatures, living miniatures of his own. They kind of remind me of like in the night garden, little miniatures that live in their own little world. <laughs> and even amongst that, just before that even, you see him use a, like a, a telescope, microscope, and he watches this pocket dimension nuke itself into oblivion. Just one last this, this alchemist has got mad power. The In the Night Garden reference, was that from my notes, or did we both somehow come to In the Night Garden watching this shit? Yeah, Yeah, we both separately came to the conclusion of, oh yeah, this kind of reminds me of a 2007 (laughs) children's show. But it does, because they're like, in this little purple dimension, they're all like these weird little (laughs) cartoony characters that look kind of happy. That's not the point that reminded me of it, there's something completely separate in the film that reminded me of In the Night Garden. Just two separate points in the film push towards Macca fucking Packer. It's a pretty creepy to eat children's show. Oh, it's horrible. I've remembered it's burned into my memory. Fucking Eagle Piggle exists in my sleep paralysis <laughs> nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> Eagle Piggle is your sleep paralysis demon. You tell me if that would be fucking terrifying. <laughs> You try and go to sleep and you just hear Aka, 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 Just quietly as he slowly approaches the bed frame. I mean, yeah, that that creation then, so that that's just an input from uh, Phil. No, because I don't know if it's like effectively I don't know if it's Phil Tip itself insert, because I don't think he'd make himself look that grotesque. But it effectively plays the role of Phil Tibbet within this universe, where it's kind of, it kind of has its own little miniatures that live their own little lives, and it's guard over these miniatures. It controls when they live and they die. It releases these creatures just to feed on Akapaka's children. Yeah, it's the only fucking nice portion, lack of a better term, in it. That these things seem to have a decent life. The only things are fucking happy before that shit as well. Nice. He throws maggots in, and they. Wiggle all along, and these things run along and just start slurping them up in their one hole. Okay, would would <laughs> nice. I would I rather colourful? That's all it is. Would I rather be tortured for all eternity and fucking die by giant creatures, or would I rather have a nice tea party and then die horribly? Which would I rather fucking take? You've got to, it's comparison. It's fucking relative, <laughs> isn't it? In this universe, I'll take that, I'll have a tea party, then be eaten by a maggot, rather than I'll fucking work for a giant baby over a speakerphone and then be crushed by a fucking marble. I'll take the tea party and maggot. Well, to be fair, I'd rather be the dude in the armature. Thank you very much. You know, there's some imagery which is used a lot that we haven't talked about at all. Which is eyes. Like, eyes and just, like, these stationary bloodshot eyes are used a lot. Yeah, because they're creepy. That's, that's, that's what I'm yeah, pushing on. Yeah, you know, I kind, of, I kind of agree. They are, like, extremely creepy. And it might just be used as, like, this is to be creepy. But Even if it's, like, you know, it's... I mean, the, the question, obviously, there is, why are eyes creepy? Is this a fucking hour? It's something staring at you. You don't. You're designed to find them creepy. You're designed to seek them out. It's like something staring at you from the darkness. Your fucking caveman brain's meant to go off and say that exactly. this is something that can kill you. Absolutely. That's, that's why I was creepy. This whole film, because there's the seat. There's lots of like scenes of like with just these single bloodshot eyes just staring about. Like 
you know, with the giant creatures that shit out the shipmen. Yeah. And then he was that like creature with the big bloodshot eyes, and then there's like all these tentacle type things with eyes attached to them all looking around. Uh, you got the surgery scenes as well, which shows his eyes constantly. Um, I can remember there being like two stalks with two eyes on the end at some point. I think it was in the third act. But yeah, yeah, they are in constantly. And considering we have like this alchemist is almost like this this god figure, even if even if he's subservient to this like devil character. It kind of reminds me as though the eyes are like the viewer. But the whole time there are always these eyes in this universe. And we see the eyes a lot of the time from a 2D perspective. Well, suppose it was a 3D perspective. There are bound to be eyes looking at the assassin or whatever's going on from that perspective. The audience is like effectively these like eyes that exist and we're just watching what happens. You know, I'm not going to reiterate uh, myself, but you're looking way too far into it there. That is jumping the shark in terms of interpretation. It's well, just they're creepy yeah, eyes. I can sort of see that, but again, why are eyes creepy? And eyes are creepy because it's you know something watching you, something. Yeah, it doesn't have to mean anything. Well, it, this, it, it's it, it's also the disembodiment from something that we know into something grotesque. It's it's body horror. It's the same reason why a hand moving on its own is creepy. It's it's something familiar that is wrong. Uh, it's a common trope in most body horror of having eyes in the wrong place. I mean, look at everything Lovecraftian that's ever been made. <laughs> eyes yeah. and mouths abound. And it could very well be a, a sense of something looking into us, something looking at like you said with the audience, but I think it's just um, well, the use of body parts as a whole in this is body horror. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. I, I agree, I do agree. Um, so, pushing on, we get the alchemy section where the baby's crushed into a silvery powder. I suppose that's for you, my Destru- destruction creation. into creation. Yeah. And then uh, I, I suppose to an extent this is it's why I check out a little here because the the whole creation of the uni- universe, if you had an interpretation of the film, might have more stock for you. But for me, I suppose I just found it a little. It went on a little too long for me. Just yeah, stock, yeah, stock images over and over again. It's kind of a long scene. It really is trying to emphasise the message that I've been spouting to you guys out the whole time. It really, really puts in a lot of work to emphasise that. Yeah, people struggling to visualise it. Imagine the opening to the Big Bang Theory. Um, that, but much slower. It goes through the entirety of creation and ends with uh, we people in masks setting off a bomb to blow up a building. Fuck it's me. the cyclical nature of our universe. If only, if only that's how the Big Bang Theory went. And it all started with an anarchist who blows up the entire cast and crew because this is dog shit. <laughs> all starts with the Big Bang, hey. <laughs> yeah. So I, I actually agree that, you know, the fact that it seemed like uh, the universe is um, of completely blanked on the word. Centrical? Centrical. Yeah. I agree. That is a, a, a common theme throughout the, the film. 
I just think uh, it might not be as profound. Profound, yeah, as you're making it out, but could be wrong. Yeah, obviously. I, I think this ending is is like tying into everything that I've been saying so far. Like, honestly, I mm. hadn't even thought of it until this ending. Like, the whole time I was watching the film, I was like, oh, this is just some cool shit. Like, I was just sort of in the perspective of Kieran, this is some cool shit. I just think about the capitalism stuff when that happened. But then it was at the end when it's like, all of this is the actual contents of what's going on is totally irrelevant because nothing changes anything. It is all completely meaningless, regardless of whether or not the assassin was able to bomb that place. The world would not be a better place because in every existence where there's a universe and these universes just pop up like the fucking nothing, the universes always nuke themselves into oblivion and always divulge into grotesque shitness. You say, I, I stand by that. That there's clearly repetition. There's clearly the world reliving it over and over again. That I don't think there's any real debate against anything. That is just what is happening. The problem for me is when you then jump to. So this is what the author wanted to say. I'm not saying that necessarily. I'm not saying that he necessarily wanted to this say. This is what his subconscious that. wanted to say, or this is what the author fucking meant, or however it goes. Again, I'm not saying that that he wanted anything necessarily, but I'm saying that he is intrinsically, even accidentally, he's look he observes the world as a postmodernist. Therefore, the content that he creates is an extension of his own postmodernist beliefs. It's like when you do run a Dungeons and Dragons campaign, all of your NPCs are an extension of your own personality. In your Vampire the Masquerade games, you take an element of your own personality and then times it by 10 for every NPC, and those are all of your NPCs. And I think that it's inevitable that Phil Tibbet or any creator will impart some of their own, like, what they consider to be the default existence or, like, the, um, the, the framework by which that they view the world into the fiction that they create. Well, you can only take from your own belief and own experience. Even even if, even if it's taking your interpretation of everyone else's belief, even if you create a character from the perspective of someone else, you're only interpreting that from your own point of view. So yeah, you can't, you're can't. you not another person. You clearly can't jump outside yourself, so there is going to be part of you in that, no matter how hard you try to make it otherwise. Again, suppose we were religious, suppose in this call all three of us were Catholics, we would not be saying that sort of thing because it's impossible for there to be an own subjective experience when there's an objective reality that which is God. If you put those like two um, opposing existential frameworks against each other, it becomes more clear what Phil Tibbetts own framework is when you suppose that there is an existent, existential God where the universe is fixed and where everything is objective, what's good and what's bad is objective by God. And our like our sort of postmodernist belief where everything is subjective, where there is no God, therefore everything is subject to one's own belief. And you saying that just then is antithetical, I think if I pronounce that right, to the religious perspective of everything being objective. You saying that it's subjective to our own personal experience, that is exactly what postmodernism is so the phil tibbet 
may exactly have your viewpoint, Kieran, but your viewpoint is the same as Kirill Tibbetts, which is that of postmodernism, which is that of personal subjectification, which is why you are able to see things from Phil Tibbetts' perspective, that this is all just meaningless and it's just cool for the sake of being cool and it's something that we can make ourselves because you subscribe accidentally to Phil Tibbetts' own framework for his viewpoint of the universe. Whereas I am not religious, but I subscribe to a slightly different version, which is that of modernism, which predates postmodernism. Postmodernism is said to come back in the 1960s. Postmodernism is before that, which is that there is an objective reality, but that objective reality is bound by an objective uh, perspective of science. Postmodernism is in postmodernism goes, goes as far as to say that science itself isn't objective, and I think because you sub you accidentally agree with Phil Tibbet, you are able to see things from his perspective, which to me, who doesn't agree with either of your frameworks of reality, looks off. Cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, yeah, I understand. It's finding meaning in a different perspective. If someone tells you that this colour is green, and it's like you describe what... Not green, say, if you describe this surface as rough, but to someone else, that surface is smooth. But like a lot of people, so like fifty percent of people think the surface is rough. Fifty percent of people think the surface is smooth. We we'll go back to that fucking what is it, blue and blue and yellow dress. That shit. That fucking yeah. dress. Blue <laughs> dress. Yeah, this is like that, but on steroids, and more about your entire like view of reality. Which, which again, if someone was religious in this call, they would probably be very against Mad God because I believe that Mad God. Is effectively a a from like a, a middle finger up to religion and to the ex like the existence of an objective reality. Oh, no. They'd be very much against Mad God if they took your interpretation of it. Though they wouldn't, so, because their interpretation what, would inherently be this one. Because no, their their interpretation so could, could be, be mine. I could summarize. I could summarize this almost. Yeah, I believe. I think we're gonna have to. So it is almost like saying. It is not what you said, but how you said it. In a sense of regardless of what the initial point was, this is what Mike is taking away from it. Regardless of what the actual point of the film is, regardless if it's just a normal film, regardless of if it is just pointless, what Mike has taken away and what he believes is, is that this is a postmodernism. Or rather... You're describing that as yeah, a postmodernism. You say that exactly as a postmodernist would. Because again, this idea that everything is subjective is a very is a very recent idea. Human beings haven't thought of like like that, that everything is up to interpretation of one's own like ideas. For most of human history, it has been objective interpretation by that of Well yeah, most of human history people have believed that there is a purpose to it. Exactly. Absolutely, you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah. What I'm, what I'm really asking is, and what's your? <laughs> we are just saying the same things at this point. Well, and if I was someone who doesn't, because I am personally someone who isn't religious but like the sort of step to the right where i think there is a degree of object objection objectification to reality i don't actually think that things are with respect 
other than this film, because that's exactly what this film sets out to do, that there isn't a subjective meaning to everything. Subject to one's mm. own beliefs. I think that that's something specific only to this film, which is kind of the reason why this film was created. Yeah, I mean, I think that that, for me, culminates in my point, that you've got your own belief and you're transposing that against the film. That's what you're taking from it. Again? You've got what you believe, you're seeing it in the film. I think that's the film's you're purpose. Describing that. Make- exactly, yeah. You're taking that, you're taking, you believe it's the purpose because that's what you transcribe. You believe there's some no, objectivity. I, I, I don't think it's because I believe the film's purpose to be that. I think the film's purpose is exactly to make you think about that. Yeah, because... You, no, no, because... Okay, fair enough. But you believe that, as far as I'm concerned... Because that's your perspective, because there's some objectivity, and then you're going, okay, so this is what I believe. Oh, look, the film, I can push the scenes into this belief, and so that's how I go forward. You've been very reductionist yeah. about this. Very much so. Yeah, as I say, you are a postmodernist, even accidentally, just because that's the way, like, our. No, I, I am. I, I agree with you on a lot of this stuff. I'm a nihilist. At the end of the day, I just don't believe the film was pushing that. Um, but I think, I think we're going around in circles either way. Very much like the film. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And uh, yeah. <laughs> before this becomes a, nihil- a nihilistic statement on us just arguing constantly until the end of time. That's uh, what the film is. Yeah. We'll fill it out. Oh, what the true was, not what the original nihilism was. I finally come up with a good transition. That's bang on. Well done, me. Pushing into the end point, um, I think regardless of our own agreement on what the film was trying out to do, I think we all, we all recommend it. I think we, we said earlier, but just to summarise, generally we all recommend the film. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 100%. Perfect. Um, and as we do on the show all the time, recommendations of other media. Uh, I only say that because I can't think of many films. <laughs> uh, Little Nightmares uh, is the only thing I can actually think of. At all. Little nightmares. That one scene from Event Horizon. Uh... I would say Hellraiser again because I can kind of see this being like Hellraiser's dimension, like you said in the Hell analogy. Yeah. 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 Actually. Yeah, so Make a good point. Hellraiser. Uh... If it's just going by stock motion, we mentioned a few earlier. Uh, just in terms of beautiful animation, even if it's uh, beautiful in inverted commas. Yeah, Frank and Weenie, Nightmare Before, Alice, uh, which I'll, I'll never stop recommending. Uh, there's, there's been loads of really great stuff, and thankfully there's a bit of an uptick again with streaming. It's starting to go back into a renaissance, and I really do hope it does that. Uh, it's, it's something I really don't want to get lost, the technique that is wonderful even if it takes a shitload of time to properly execute and Wallace and Gromit said if you want a horror actually a horror recommendation Wallace and Gromit that fucking dog food factory what was it called uh the short is called a close shame which is the third nightmares as a child or the wrong trousers for the most terrifying penguin to have ever been released on cinema (laughs) I think that's Thingu talking about more stop motion claymation that the thing yeah. version of Pingu. No, actually, no, the wrong trousers was horrific. That's diabolical. Uh, and Coraline. Before I forget, Cor- Coraline as well. has uh, definitely got a really nice stylization mm-hmm. to it that follows along kind of the same thing. More a kiddie side, actually, to not along exactly the same vein as Mad God, but it's uh, it's 
It's very good. Uh, so that's all I'm pushing on. Um, thanks for listening. It's been different. First time I've properly argued, like two hours solid. Just for reference, I thought this was only going to be about an hour long. I'm a fucking moron. When have we ever been under time? God, remember the days. An hour per film. No, I don't. Woe is me. It was partially your fucking <laughs> fault. Silent Hill is where it went off the rails. <laughs> By the way, that's all from me. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Thank you. Form your own opinion on the film. That's exactly what Phil Tibbet wants you to do. Especially if it uh, agrees with us. <laughs>